Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This is the fourth class of our Vipassana Structured Study. Uh, the first two classes were a broad introduction to this um, central theme of the Buddha's Dhamma, uh, true Vipassana, true introspective insight into the three marks of existence. This is really what the Buddha taught. And so, and then the last two classes were on the Arya Pariyasana Sutta, where the Buddha teaches um, what to look for and how to look for it in a skillful way, and also um, to how to recognize and abandon um, false practices and false dharmas uh, as ignoble searches. And then this sutta is on the Paticca Samuppada Sutta, the primary sutta on dependent origination. So this is what this is what the Buddha awakened to. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're 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 engaging in dharma practice to develop a profound understanding of what the, what the Buddha discovered here in the Paticca Samuppada Sutta, which is, from ignorance of Four Noble Truths, all manner of confusion, deluded thinking, and ongoing stress and suffering arises. From ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So that immediately points to what did the Buddha teach? The Buddha taught Four Noble Truths, and he taught nothing else. Uh, and the, the reason why is that it would be cruel to teach, uh, to teach something other than what would bring immediate release from the effects of stress and suffering. So, the Paticca Samuppada Sutta. The Buddha was at Savati at Jita's Grove, Anatha Pandika's monastery. He addressed, addressed those assembled. Friends, I will describe in detail dependent origination. Listen carefully. And what is dependent origination? From ignorance, and in parentheses, from ignorance of Four Noble Truths, as a requisite condition, comes fabrication. In other words, if that required position isn't there, uh, condition, I'm sorry, if ignorance isn't present, isn't present a fabricated views or a corrupted view of self in relation to the world simply don't arise. So in order for this whole mass of stress and suffering to arise, ignorance of Four Noble Truths must be present. Saying it that way kind of implies that there's a rarity to that. And that's, of course, that's, that's not true. It, it is the most common human experience to be ignorant of Four Noble Truths. That's what made Siddhartha Gautama so brilliant. He's the first guy to figure this out. When for thousands and thousands, and you could probably say millions of years, human beings have been pondering these great questions and always distracting themselves further and further away from the answer by um, compulsively interjecting speculative, magical, and mystical resolutions for those that they couldn't figure out on their own. And the Buddha rejected all that. Remember last week we talked about his encounters with Alara Kalamu and Udeka Ramaputta uh, and how he rejected those teachings, because, basically because they were magical and mystical teachings. They didn't lead to his goal of understanding what it means to be a human being. So, from that fabrication as a requisite condition comes consciousness. And again, this is ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Let me say hello to Sarah. Hello, Sarah. 
We're just beginning with dependent origination. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrications. From those fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. And again, it's fabrications that are feeding ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. So no matter how brilliant that mind might be, if its perceptions and 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 um, conclusions or mental fabrications that that mind is, is developing are rooted in ignorance, its only conclusions can be rooted in ignorance. It doesn't matter, again, how brilliant this mind might be, where it studies, how it studies, who it studies with. If the, if the initial view is rooted in ignorance, everything that follows from that will be ignorant. From that consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. Uh, name and form, the Pali is Nama Rupa. It simply means I have applied a name to this form. I have now begun the process of self-identification with all phenomena that arises and passes away. How do I know that? Because the Buddha just told me that my mind rooted in ignorance of four noble truths can only fabricate a reality for me. It can't, it can't describe reality because it is ignorant of reality. Again, it makes sense, doesn't it? A mind that is ignorant of something cannot understand that, can it? So my mind rooted in ignorance of four noble truths is now feeding a thinking process that I'm clinging to because I believe it's me. And now everything that I come in, in contact with through that thinking, thinking process is self-referential. It's rooted in name and form. From name and form as a requisite condition comes the sixth sense base. The sixth sense bases are five physical senses and that sixth sense of consciousness. But remember, it, it, and I say this often, because the first few times that I heard consciousness in a modern reference um, in, in our modern age was in this, this dawning of a new age of, of uh, what's this, fifth dimension? New age of Aquarius, a new consciousness. This has been a theme since I've been growing up, that humanity is right on the verge of a grand cosmic consciousness. And all we have to do is keep on going and we're all going to understand everything. Well, it ain't happening, folks. Uh, they, they claim that that already had happened, but look at the state of the world. The human, human beings are not on the verge of some great cosmic consciousness, at least not that I can see, and at least not that Siddhartha Gautama could see 2,600 years ago or 2,600 years later. The same issues are, are continuing today. Ignorance of four noble truths. We're nowhere near nearer. Uh, a grand cosmic consciousness now than we were 2,600 years ago. And um, hum humanity, the human race, is not capable of reaching that, um, if any of you are still engaging in that speculation. How do I know that? Because the Buddha told me so. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be birth, sickness, suffering, aging, and death. There's going to be situations where I, I don't get what I want, and it's going to upset me. There's going to be situations where I get what I don't want, and that will upset me. All of that is a process of having a human life. And if I try to escape it by concepts, by speculation, by magic and mysticism, all that I'm doing is prolonging my ignorance and prolonging my stress and suffering. From that contact with my six senses, as a requisite condition comes feeling. And so now I'm using my, my physical reaction to what's occurring and what I'm perceiving to validate what I'm seeing. But remember, what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing is rooted in, in, in ignorance. So I am my own self-fulfilling prophecy. The Buddha, and you've heard me say this before, the Buddha could have almost as nearly described the initial condition of dukkha as saying there is distraction because it is the ongoing preoccupation with getting what I want and not getting what I don't want that keeps me distracted from living my life moment by moment. Excuse me.
Come here. Come on. Come over here. Nothing to worry about. Come here. Lay down. Go ahead. Lay down. Lay down. Go ahead. All right. So from from feeling as a record condition comes craving. I've established my connection to the sixth sense base and now craving has, has, uh, has manifested. I want more of what's occurring or I want less of what's occurring. In other words, I am stuck in the five clinging aggregates as my human experience. And when I'm stuck in it, Bodhi, come on, it's enough. When I'm stuck in the aggregates, I'm stuck to, or I'm, I'm stuck to maintaining clinging to this fabrication. Is that clear? So again, there's no hope of getting out of this situation unless I have a framework or some, some type of guidance to take me from ignorance to wisdom. That's what the Eightfold Path is all about. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. From clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming. And remember the context. From If I'm clinging and maintaining to ignorance, the only thing I can become is further ignorance. If I start developing the framework of the Eightfold Path as my, as my guidance for how I live my moment-by-moment life, then my moment-by-moment life is inclined towards awakening. It's the only choice we have. From clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From becoming uh, from becoming further ignorant as a requisite condition comes another moment, another moment of giving birth to ignorance. It's incredibly um, uh, logical and clear when you look at it as the Buddha presents it. And of course, there's nothing there's nothing magical or, or mystical or speculative necessary to describe the process of from ignorance of four noble truths, stress and suffering arises. It's a direct path that we can follow as long as our minds are well concentrated in jhana. We can see the process. And if we can see the process, we can interrupt the process. From giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance as a requisite condition. Now apply this to your life right here and right now. As birth, as giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance as a requisite condition comes aging, comes birth, aging, sickness, death, Regret, pain, distress, and despair, the whole mass of suffering. Without that, there is none of that. There is nothing to follow that ignorance. It's just a human life unfolding. And now the Buddha doesn't leave us there. He explains what all this means. And, and now what is aging and death? Aging is the decrepitude, the brokenness, the graying, the decline, the weakening of the faculties. Death is the passing away of the five clinging aggregates. So what's the significance of that? The significance of that is that we got this lifetime to awaken. The Buddha doesn't say, good luck, try to get it this time, but if you don't get it, you got endless eons. He never said that. He says, you got one shot at it, Bahia. You better do it now. The passing away of the five clinging aggregates, the ending of time, and the interruption in the life faculties. This one clear restoration translation of dependent origination shows that any speculative attachment to the Buddha's Dhamma is just that. It's a speculation. The the Buddha's initial teaching, what he awakened to, said, don't get into any of that nonsense about a future life or a mystical life or a a, 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 a life that's rooted in emptiness or nothingness of a physical, in relation to a physical experience. It's nonsense. It's it, the the opportunity to awaken ends at the interruption of the life, life faculties. 
How do I know that? Because I know that the Buddha teaches me there's no faculties left to develop understanding. And if I believe that there is, if I believe something, if I believe what the, what the Buddha is teaching, but I have this little bit of um, self-referential speculation that I'm clinging to, I buy everything that the Buddha says, but I think maybe after I'm dead, I can finagle something else out of this. I'm screwed. Excuse the language. I'm not going to gain anything from this because I'm just kidding myself. Even though from the beginning of humankind, humankind has talked, talked about this great reward after death or whatever is available after death as part of the human experience, the Buddha realized it's not. There's this experience. And if there is another experience, it's foolish for us to speculate about it because it'll take me out of what I need most to do right now. Wake up. Now, the Buddha continues, what is birth? And relate this now, not just to physical birth, but to giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. What is birth? Birth is the descent, the coming forth, the coming to be. I've had a, a, an idea rooted in ignorance, and I self-identify with that idea, Nama Rupa. And now that, I, that, that fabricated idea becomes me. That's what the Buddha is referring to. The birth is the descent. That idea was my descent into this physical plane, manifesting a, a moment and a framework of a human being rooted in ignorance. And from that moment on, unless something interrupts that process, that human being, and I sound like a kind of a fool, this human being is rooted in ignorance. Why? Because I don't have any, any proper perspective for seeing things clearly. Is that clear to everyone? Because this is the process we all engage in to fool ourselves, to mesmerize ourselves, to entangle ourselves in the world. Birth is the appearance of the sixth sense base and the five clinging aggregates. In a physical sense, of course, that's true, but in a, in a more um, reality-based sense as it relates to the Four Noble Truths, the Buddhist is simply stating that this empty vehicle when it's rooted in ignorance, becomes a five-clinging aggregate vehicle. And now that vehicle is, is prone to continue ignorance. You could say that it is the purpose of five-clinging aggregates to continue as the perfect vehicle, vehicle for continuing ignorance. That's just what it does. Excuse me. And so now what is becoming? Becoming is sensual becoming. It's related to the senses. It's form becoming. It's related to the physical form, isn't it? And it's formless becoming. So what does the Buddha mean by that? Well, he must be talking about a magical, a mystical, and non-physical realms. He says it right there. Look at the context. He's talking about formless becoming in the context of ignorance. And so when I try to establish myself in a formless way, it's just as foolish as, as creating a formed person, but rooted in ignorance. Because the conclusions that I make about some type of formless life, a non-physical life, excuse me, will be the same types of conclusions that I made about my physical life. It's all rooted in ignorance. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and because I've decided it, I am compelled to maintain it, clinging and maintaining. So it sounds like the most reasonable thing in the world and it becomes even more reasonable when more and more people adopt or adapt what I'm thinking as reasonable. Meaning, 
a modern Buddhist lineage, a modern uh, Christian religion, a modern Muslim religion, a modern Jewish religion, a modern belief that if I if I bowl every Thursday night, that's going to be my salvation. It's all speculation. It's all rooted in ignorance. It's all rooted in becoming further ignorant. Now, what is becoming? Becoming essential, becoming form, becoming and formless becoming. And so if I think that my practice is to do everything that my teacher tells me to do, I need to chant a half hour a day. I need to engage in Zen meditation for an hour a day. I need to prostate myself 108,000 times before my actual Dhamma practice begins. That's a, that's a legitimate modern lineage, by the way. I need to do any of these other things that the Buddha calls precepts and, and, and practices that he said don't do, but I decide I must do them. And so everything that I do is becoming further ignorant. And even the idea, again, of formless becoming, speculative becoming is just that, rooted in ignorance. And what is clinging and maintaining? There are four types of clinging. Clinging to sensory stimulus. It makes sense, doesn't it? Clinging to views, conditioned thinking. Clinging to practices and precepts and clinging to a doctrine of self. All of that is a doctrine of self. Anything that is rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths must be a doctrine of self by definition. And so anytime I'm trying to maintain that in any way, whether it's through loyalty to the friends, through associations, or just through a deluded but sincere practice, I can only continue stress and suffering. This is what the Buddha awakened to. And as long as we maintain ignorance in any fashion, a shred of ignorance will obviate or, or obfuscate, maybe I should say, the Dhamma. We can't develop it with even a shred of ignorance maintaining. It doesn't mean that if there's ignorance now, I can't develop awakening. In fact, we talked about that last week. It is within Dhamma practice, a noble search within the framework of the Four Noble Truths. It is within that experience of ignorance that awakening occurs. And what is craving? There are six classes of craving. It relates directly to the sixth sense base. Craving for sounds, craving for smells, craving for taste, craving for physical um, sensations, and craving for ideas. Um, that last is an interesting one to me, and I think maybe to some of you. The, um, the idea of a, a pure intellectual um, inquiry is given way more credence in our world than it really deserves. In other words, if you're engaged in, in an intellectual pursuit of something, it could be why grasshopper legs are so big. Because it's an intellectual inquiry, we tend to give it a lot more, place a lot more importance on it than it normally would be, as it's just seeing, well, it's just another intellectual inquiry. It doesn't really mean anything except the weight that I give it. But as soon as I decide it's my inquiry, then it's the most important thing on the planet. And it's important for me to understand in relation to the Dhamma that any fabricated thought, no matter how magnificent I think it might be, if it's rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, I must abandon it. I must recognize it and abandon it. Because any time I play with it at all, I massage it at all, I insist that there's, there's a little value in this, this ignorant view I'm putting, a, putting aside my awakening in favor of maintaining that fabricated view. And this is the danger in subtle associations. And what is feeling, the Buddha continues. Feeling has those six classes as well. Feeling arises from eye contact, from nose contact, from feeling contact or, or sensory 
uh, input, from taste contact, and from intellectual contact. This is called feeling. And what is contact? Phenomena contacting the eye, the, and I'll just do through all the rest of the senses. This is called contact with the sixth sense base. Name and form the same thing. Feeling, perceptions, intention, attention, all mental aspects, and contact. Discriminating self, refer, self-referential consciousness is name. The elements of water, fire, earth, and wind, that which makes a physical form is called form. So that first aggregate of form relates first to our physical form, but then to all physical form, all physical phenomena. And because we self-identify with things, either by deciding we, we like it, we want to have it in our life, or we don't like this. And we, we often do that with things that are completely inconsequential. It don't matter uh, whether, they're, whether we recognize them as a like or dislike. If we, if we remove the self-referential judgment, nothing matters. We're not taking anything personal. Name and form is discriminating consciousness bound to clinging to physical form. And what is consciousness? There are six classes of consciousness, and the Buddha relates consciousness to each one of our senses. There's eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, and intellect consciousness. So there's, there's a, an ongoing determination made by our senses that we are unaware of, but is ongoing moment by moment. So if... Is, as long as our senses are rooted in ignorance of four noble truths and perceiving reality from that ignorance, and they're constantly at work perceiving a, an ignorant reality, where, where does that leave us? It leaves us, again, coming back to, that, to the, the, the importance of wise restraint in this moment. Right here, right now, according to everything we've learned about the Buddha's Dhamma, and especially now that we're reviewing dependent origination for the hundredth time, this is the moment to practice Dhamma. Because right here, right now, is the only time that I can engage in eye-making. And it's the only time that I can bring eye-making to cessation, to cessation. These are fabrications. There are three types. There's bodily fabrications, there's verbal fabrications, and there's mental fabrications. So we're getting to simplify things a little bit. Because we tend to uh, apply the idea to fabrications to just everything that occurs. And of course it's true... But as we're working through the Dhamma, we know that there's fabrications that are unique to, to the body. They're, they're reflected in the body. There's, visual fa- there's verbal fabrications, those related to speech, and there's mental fabrications. And it's mental fabrications that encompass the other two because it's the ongoing mental fabrication that we're interpreting what's occurring to me physically and what is feeding what I'm saying to the world. Let me continue. So what is ignorance? And this is something that I would encourage you all to return to until you have this memorized. What is ignorance? Ignorance is not knowing stress. Ignorance is not knowing the origination of stress. Ignorance is not knowing the cessation of stress. And ignorance is not knowing the Eightfold Path as the path leading to the cessation of stress. This is a very specific type of knowing. It's experiential knowing. It's ahapasiko knowing. It's not just knowing something in an intellectual way. It's having the direct experience rooted in jhana and framed by refined mindfulness. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about this type of knowing. It's a profound understanding of ignorance and stress. It's knowing in an experiential way that I have originated 
all the stress and suffering in my life from craving for and clinging to views rooted in ignorance. Let me continue. The Buddha continues. That is called ignorance. Now, from the remainderless fading and cessation of ignorance comes the cessation of fabrication. From the cessation of ignorance of Four Noble Truths, there is no more origination of suffering because what was what suffering was originated in or was required by ignorance is no longer present. It's gone. This is an awakened human being. From the cessation of those, those fabrications comes the cessation of consciousness, ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance. From the cessation of consciousness comes the cessation of name and form. So anytime we interrupt any one of these processes, the whole process falls apart. And again, this is just from understanding the three marks of existence, what we're doing right now uh, in our Sangha, brings this understanding and this abandonment. From the cessation of name and form comes the cessation of the sixth sense base. From the cessation of the sixth sense base comes the cessation of contact. Of course, it doesn't mean that we no longer have senses. It simply means we're no longer using our senses to continue validating fabrication. From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of feeling. From the cessation of feeling comes the cessation of craving. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of clinging and maintaining. From the cessation of clinging and maintaining comes the cessation of becoming further ignorant. From the cessation of becoming further ignorant comes the cessation of giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. From the cessation of giving birth comes the cessation of sickness, aging, death, regret, pain, distress, despair, and confusion. Wisdom brings a cessation to this entire mass of suffering. That's the end of the Paticca Samuppada Sutta. So, thank you for, for listening again to this sutta. Uh, it really is the, the most significant sutta. You've heard me say it over and over again. If you want to give yourself an enjoyable half hour or two hours, go online and do a search on dependent origination or dependent co-arising or interdependent co-arising, and you'll, you'll see some interesting things from modern teachers that have nothing to do with this key and primary sutta. Uh, so I'd like to go around the room, I, and um, our meetings have been going a little bit long, and I'm not complaining, um, but a few people have mentioned that, um, that, mentioned that, they're getting a little bit long, so let's just keep our talk to, to three minutes or so, and I think we'll be fine, and uh, I'm going to start with Sarah up top. Sarah, how are you? You feel like saying hello? Hey, Sarah. Hello. How you doing? Hey, so I have a question. Sure. This comes from my experience today of seeing a Klondike bar in the freezer and then suddenly eating it. <laughs> you did that too? And, huh? You did that too? I <laughs> When I know what that will do to me, it will make me restless. Like, I won't be able to focus. It will disrupt my concentration um it really just messes with my psyche um so it's not a stable choice for me so i was thinking today about and they're not in there because i bought them they're in there because a housemate bought them but um i was thinking today how in my house growing up my family our way of dealing with stuff like that was we just don't have it in the house Mm. and and i suppose that is a way of not exposing our senses to that and that always worked for me but what doesn't work for me is having it in the house and i'm hearing and seeing that there must be something even further back than just not having it that i should be able to tap into this to apply it so that when i see it 
I'm somehow dispassionate about it. Yes. And and it doesn't affect me to. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, so what, I would like to apply this to that specific, like trace it back a little bit further. Like, what what would would cause that to break down? So I wouldn't just. It's it. This may seem like a, a simpler pat answer, but it's it's a lack of jhana. It's a lack of concentration. It, it, so again, it, it seems almost so too pat, but the, the reason why I spent many, many years, many, many years, and in fact, this is the one thought that almost killed me. I, I use this a lot when I speak at meetings. Um, for many, many years, um, I believed that I had to stop drinking or I would drink myself to death pretty quickly. But the thought that I have to stop now was followed by the next thought. Well, that's right. I do have to stop, but let me just have one more. And that one more kept me going for years, literally for years and years and years. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I almost drank myself to death. I came within hours at least twice that I know about. And so it's that same thought that I can do this and I must do this that keeps me having to do it. And there's no more power behind the thought except the power that I give it. But that doesn't mean that a mind that is compelled and stuck in that addiction can just say, okay, I'm not going to think that way anymore. You have to go through the process, but it's a lack of concentration that allows me to go from, I need to stop drinking now, to, okay, I'll just have one more. Do you see the lack of concentration there? Because there, there was a brilliant thought there. You got to stop. But there was not enough concentration to hold on to the thought. So you, there's two good things that happen here, Sarah. One is you recognize something that may not, long, may not suit you well. But immediately in that, in that moment, when you see the Klondike bar and eat it, just enjoy it and then have then take a breath, unite your mind and your body and say, that might not be the best thing for me to do to continue and continue with your Dhamma practice. But don't judge yourself harshly. You'll never get through it. If you judge yourself harshly, really what you're saying is um, um, I'm less than skillful for eating this, this Klondike bar right now, but I'm going to have another one soon because <laughs> that's what guess what guilt does to you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing it up. Michael, how are you tonight? Hi, John. Uh, hi, everybody. I really don't have a whole lot to add tonight, so I'm just listening. So, noble silence. Thank, Thank you. you. I, I guess I have to, a little mea culpa. That, that three minutes doesn't apply to me, I guess. So. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hi, Julia. <laughs> Hello, John. Uh, thank you for the teaching. I'm going to also take noble silence. Tonight. I didn't mean you couldn't say anything. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm glad you joined us. Hello, David. Hey, John. How so, are you, my friend? So, Dukkha is really your mind being confronted with the reality that this fabricated world life is being challenged. And mm -hmm. whether it's in your yep. own mind arguing against another part of your mind or the realities of what is going on outside. Yep. So, with Sarah just described was sort of that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it really is good to dig into what the Buddha discovered for us. So thank you for the teaching. Uh, thank you for being here for the teaching. Um, I'm going to hold to my three minutes. So, well, we'll see. Josh, how are you? Thank you, John. Hi, everybody. Well, I'm going to listen tonight. 
Thank you, Josh. I'm glad you joined us. Hello, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, I, I really enjoyed this sutta again, John, and I, I particularly liked how you said that we are ultimately responsible for the stress of wrong views and fabrications rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. And that's a pretty profound statement that, you know, as we keep, as I, as individually, I keep hearing this is more profound and profound the more I hear it. So, um, you know, it just, it just brings it back to, you know, that this practice is something that we can do for the rest of our lives. And it's really the, the best thing that we can do is follow this path and, um, that's probably all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Could you hang on for two minutes afterwards? After yes. class? Thank you. Hello, if you have to go, Kevin, for any reason, I, I can call yeah. you tomorrow. Hello, Steve. Hello, everybody. Thank you for applause. Uh, it was very interesting. And, uh, it's come to my mind a uh, very famous uh, Zen uh, Sutra is called Heart Sutra. And it's, the heart? Did you say the Heart Sutra? Yes, it's what I say. Okay. Heart Sutra. And um, inside of Heart Sutra, it's this line that says, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Yeah. And now I just realized, wow, what do you mean by this? Because long time ago I practiced Zen, and uh, yeah, it looked like I get it, looked like I not get it. But now it's kind of my clue. Both statement. It's wrong view. Yeah, it, and but kind of like is exist or not exist? It's possible or wrong? You clinched to something. Yeah, the the uh, the Heart Sutra, uh, the the all the sutras that modern Mahayana, Mahayana Buddhism are based on, the Heart Sutra, the Lotus Sutra, the Platform Sutra, the Diamond Sutra. Um, there's another one by Wieneng, um, Nagarjuna's books. Um, none of those are, are any, have anything to do with what the Buddha taught. The Buddha never taught that emptiness is form and form is emptiness. It, it's just simply not teachings of the Buddha. And when you look at those, I mean, the, the Heart Sutra also says that uh, the Four Noble Truths are nonsense, the Five Clinging Aggregates are not something to consider. So does the Lotus Sutra, by the way. So they're, they're simply not something that the Buddha ever taught. Um, and, I, you know, there's, there's nothing else to say about that. Uh, yeah, I, I got to leave it at there. I feel like I want to qualify that to kind of lessen it, but it's just the truth. You know, modern Mahayana Buddhism is based on something the Buddha never taught. So um, does that bring a little clarity, Steve? Maybe you didn't even need any clarity at this point. Uh, yes, it does, but it's what I mean. Even it's not what Buddha teach, but it's still based on Buddha teaching. Because it's what I said, it's both statement, it's around you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's yeah. the, 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 the sutra is describing a wrong view, but in the context that they're presenting it, it has nothing to do with dependent origination as the Buddha teaches it. it the, the intention between the, the heart sutra is not to teach um, uh, an understanding of suffering. It's actually to teach that everything is empty of a self. It, it's a fact. It's a fabricated teaching. So, in order to get there, they teach something called that 
Form is emptiness. Formless is emptiness. Everything, everything in experience is empty of any. It, it doesn't even make sense when you try to explain it. Of any inherent, um, you can't even bring it to its logical conclusion. It's just stating that everything is empty. Well, it's not. You know, it, it, it just again it goes against everything the Buddha taught. Yes, but that has nothing to do with what the Buddha taught. The Buddha didn't teach that a self is empty of a self. It, he just taught that a, 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 a human being does not know anatta. What anatta means is you don't know what a self is. He didn't say that there's no such thing as a self. In fact, he lived a 45 years post his awakening as an awakened self. He wasn't nothing. You know, he achieved, I, I think he had the, the most significant life of any human being as well. So there's no emptiness there and no nothingness as far as Siddhartha Gautam was concerned. Or me. I'm not empty of a self. This, you know, whether you like it or not, this, this is the self. This is what you get. What I'm empty of, or at least I hope I'm empty of, is taking anything personal as far as this self is concerned. That's a significant difference between getting into formlessness and, and all of that. It just doesn't relate. So again, I'm, I'm using up a lot of my three minutes, but... Uh, Steve, if you want to talk more about this, please let me know and we'll set up something, all right? Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Hello, Brett. How you doing? Um, thank, you. thank you for your teaching. <clears throat> Good to see everybody tonight. Um, I guess that I'm... Uh, I'll just... I can relate to the teaching, I think, a little bit by saying... You know, just by not thinking I want to be in another place... And uh, I'm not there yet, but then constantly kind of reaffirming that I'm not there, thinking it's going to help me get there, uh, is not helping. <laughs> so I don't know. If, I don't know if that's relevant to the talk, but that's what it kind of brought up in uh, uh, in for what's going on with me. So. Yeah, and again, you're just getting to. You're getting. It's what we're studying right now. You're getting to the heart of the matter. You know, if, if the Buddha teaches us that what I think of myself is not a self, okay, and it's kind of what Steve just talked about. What is it? We have to go through this process. Excuse me. Of recognizing all the the fabricated views I made up of self. Why? So I can let them go. I mean, that's the only reason to re recollect them. Another word for mindfulness is to recollect or to hold in mind. So that's the process that we're going through. Again, what, what Sarah started, it's not to judge myself as doing something wrong, it's just to recognize, here's a fabrication, let it go. This is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. Kevin? Uh, I just wanted to answer the question you just said, well, what is it? It's a series of wrong views, that's what yeah. it's Yeah. <laughs> it's a series of fabrications. That's right, thank you. Rom, how are you? Thank you, Brett. How you doing, Rom? I'm good. <laughs> I just wanted to say to, uh, to Steve, too, that uh, please take comfort in, in the, the fact that you don't get the Dharma Sutra because <laughs> there's nothing to get there. Yeah, that's and true. It's apparently confusing uh, statement, and uh, there's, uh, there's no, nothing to be gained by, by trying to get it. Yeah, and that one line is one of the most famous lines in modern Buddha. I mean, you know, people just kind of say it, like, emptiness is form, form is emptiness, like, you know, some big magic mantra. And it's just nonsense, you know. But thank you for taking us through the end of the origination again. Uh, it's, you cannot do this often enough. Yeah, no, I agree. 
you know, there's another, there's another little nugget that that pops up and uh, and uh, adds a little bit more clarity to this this strange phenomenon that we are. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always good to to listen to it and hear it again. So, thank you, Ram. Hello, Tim. Um, you know, it, I think you mentioned it in the in your in your uh, discussion. This is just the incredibly rational and logical. Yeah. Um, everything about it, and you could almost you could almost apply every any question to it. And is what's going on now going to add to my contentment or discontentment? Is it going to make me reactive or non-reactive? Every mm-hmm. little thing. And if the answer is A, then it's wrong. And if it's B, it's proper. It's obviously it's that seems simplified, but it really is just like that. Now, the self seems to always want to justify its existence and that's where all the confusion and the confusing nature of, of life comes but dependent origination is such a all the different um suttas on dependent origination always i always kind of feel that that rational that incredible when buddha awakened to that incredible rational thought process and that's, that's just what i got out of that today yeah i, I thank you tim i mean I, the, the more i learn about Siddhartha Gautama, the more I feel that way. It's just amazing that what he figured out and and the utter simplicity of it. But you know, I think you've heard me say it a few times. The truth, by definition, should be simple, shouldn't it? It should be rather obvious. It doesn't mean that I get it immediately. And this is utter simplicity, dependent origination. From ignorance of Four Noble Truths, you're going to suffer. He's right. So. And understanding it brings the result that we want. There's no, I don't contribute to my stress and suffering anymore because I understand it. It doesn't mean that there's not. It doesn't mean that I don't continue to age. Look at me, you know. But I understand it. I don't take any. I don't take any of it personal. And that, I, I and I. No one knows what freedom and liberation is. You can't know it until you actually experience it, can you? I mean, if you've been in prison for twenty years and you're walking in the sunshine again, you know that difference. But to go from a, a mind rooted in ignorance of four noble truths to liberate that mind, to not have things in the world that are taken personal, is the ultimate freedom, isn't it? And it's the it it, it there there can it it's unmatched. I I can't imagine another type of thing something that we would acquire. A, a, I can't think of the word now. Something that we would apply freedom to, I can't imagine it to be more useful and expansive than freeing up our own minds from my own fabrication. And that's what the Buddha figured out. Again, it might, boy, I used up my three minutes a lot tonight. Jane, how are you tonight? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm fine. That's all right. You can have one of my minutes, John. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate what Tim said. I'm, I'm always impressed by how rational... The, the Dhamma is and uh, and simple. Yeah. So that it gives me hope that I I can do it. Yeah. Me too. Bodhi too. All right. A great class tonight. That's all. We got to do meta. Go away. Um, all right. So again, just a reminder: we're going to be back in Frenchtown uh, beginning this Saturday and on Tuesdays too. From uh, <laughs> going forward, who knows what impermanence will bring, but. It's my intention that we not not have classes in Frenchtown anymore. So 
Um, and I understand if any of you are still concerned about the virus, that's okay. Um, uh, I, I suggest that we all wear a mask. I don't want to mandate it. Um, but uh, if you come to class and you want everyone else to be wearing a mask, just say so and we'll all put a mask on. So the, the, the bottom line is that whoever comes to Frenchtown is comfortable. Uh, but we can also sit pretty far apart. If you want a social distance, uh, we can use both rooms too. So we'll be fine. We'll finish with Meta as we always do. And again, the retreat reservations are open. You can sign up for that. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.